0: Good morning. Question here. What, when I mention the word art, what comes to your mind? Not the name art, maybe you have an uncle art or something like that, or a friend named art that you went to school with, but when I mention the word art, what comes to your mind? Is it a picture, or a painting, or a fine print? I've I've learned in my household, art isn't just that. Art can be how you dress. I have four daughters. You know, art can be how you dress. I'm a jeans and t-shirt kind of a guy. Art is more than just a painting. It can be music, correct? There's art in music. Some of you may say there's not much art today in music, and I may agree with some of that, the way music is done today. Art can also be, and this is one of my favorite ways of art, food. I love the artwork of food sometimes. Except it seems to be, in my mind, I don't understand how this works, but the more you pay for a meal, the less food you get and more artistic. They, I, I don't, I, that's not my type of art I'm talking about. Sometimes it's dance. Sometimes it's a writing. Art comes in many different forms. But it can be very subjective too. Some people say this is a great piece of art, and some people say it's not. Today, modern art, I do not get. How many of you also do not get modern art? The amount of money they put into. I, yeah, I don't understand that. But here in Isaiah, we're looking at the gospel according to Isaiah. We have a combination of song, portrait, and writing in the most famous section in Isaiah, Isaiah 53. We have this great piece of art. Now before we get into this, the picture, the portrait, the artwork of the Messiah portrayed to us in the book of Isaiah comes in three primary ways. Number one, he's the ultimate king. He comes as this great, mighty king. Chapters 1-39 through really push that. For unto us a child is born, He comes as his great, mighty king. He'll be a wonderful counselor. Second, as we get into the latter part of Isaiah, and we've been looking at, he shows up as a servant of the Lord, which is jarring to most people because he's painted as his king, the Messiah, the one who will come and save people. It's in his name. But a servant, That was a tough one. The third way he's portrayed is the substitute Savior. His life for his children. And all of these would fall under the title, and you'll see on the next slide here, The Suffering Servant, Isaiah. So let's turn to this passage. Isaiah 53. And I love Old Testament prophecy. When it speaks of the cross. It is profound. When we read through the book of Psalms, when we read through Isaiah, it's as though, I just this just gives me goosebumps, it is as though the writer, thousands of years before, was sitting right underneath the cross, writing these words. Watching the Passion Week, writing these words. The beauty of this passage is profound. And as I said in the email I sent out this week, this section here is the great mountain, the Everest of prophetic literature speaking of the cross. This is the summit. This is the beautiful section. And to get this entire picture though, most people turn to, and if you're in your Bibles, you see this Isaiah 53, and and you've heard Isaiah 53. And as we get into some of these verses in the next couple of weeks, we'll see that these are very popular. One of the sad things is, most people don't realize the first part isn't really in Isaiah 53 in this section, in this song, in this artwork. It's really comes in Isaiah 52. In fact. Hopefully some of your Bibles have that marked out where you see, this, like this one here, it says, suffering in the glory of the servant begins in 52. This artwork song has five stanzas shown in our English translations with three verses each. In the Hebrew, it's set up in a beautiful way that really sometimes the English doesn't really show it in the best. So take a look at this slide here. Hopefully I've got this. Yeah, Excellent, it has five stanzas. And if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. I think everyone's got a Bible here. In Hebrew writing, in poetry, when they write prose or song, that kind of writing, most of the time, they would write it in what's called a chiastic, stylistic way. Where they would say the first part of the song, it would match the last part. So take a look. We mark this by going A, A A-prime. And then the next part, depending on how many stanzas they have, how many verses they have, sometimes it goes A, B, C, D, E, and then it kind of boils down. So we've got the first part where we're going to look at today comes in Isaiah 52. And these three verses speak of Christ being exalted. Then it goes into section B. 53 and these three verses, this rejection. And then it goes to C. He is the substitute. And then it goes back to this B, which echoes what was said before. And so you kind of understand how this is kind of mapped out here. What's important about this is not how creative they could be at writing this. One of the main reasons we kind of break this down, and I believe the Lord authored this to be in this structure, is to show the crucial aspect of the passage. Whenever it's written like this, the central theme, the heart of the passage, is in the middle. That's the core thing. Because we as humans love to sometimes look at the first thing, or the last thing, or, well, this is the most important thing. It's written in such a way, so you know, bam, the heart of this passage, as great as the other stuff is pointing to, is verses 4 through 6. And I encourage you, this, we're going to take just a bit over a month to cover this stuff. Every day, read this section. What's on our license plates here? Not just numbers, but Rainier. Because when you see it, hopefully you still do it, when I say it, just go, whoa! This is the Rainier of Old Testament prophetic literature. And when you read this, and you taste of it, more and more you will see the beauty of what God has done in Christ for us. And again, we're going to start not just with 53 as most people do, we're going to start in Isaiah 52. So let's get into just a few of these verses here. Verse 13, Isaiah 52. See, You remember that showed up a couple times? Behold. Look. And we've covered a couple of them that began with this. Look, behold, see. You know it's easy for people to, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to religion, whatever kind of camp they want to put this into, it's good just to go, oh, there it is. Okay, that's just another truth statement. This is so vital, important, that we look, we behold, we gaze upon. So my encouragement to you is every day, read this section. So you look, you behold, you look at, and you see. Here's these words. See my servant. And here's the Lord, God the Father, speaking in a profound way. This is his servant. What's about to happen is all in his plan. See my servant will act wisely. For many, this is a hard passage to translate. There's many words that come up. There's many words that we'll look at. They're just very complicated. And what, what, what do they mean? And they, they show up in the Hebrew in, in one in Leviticus in this way, and then they show up in a different way. And what does this mean? And Some translations used to say, he will prosper, he will do great and mighty things. But here this word is, he will act wisely. He will be successful in the task that's given to him. He will prosper not in the way where it will be this great thing the way we understand prosper, but he will succeed. No matter what's going to happen, nothing will stop the Lord's servant. This is exciting he will, look at this, he will be raised up, lifted up, highly exalted. Three of these words are great words that found in Isaiah alone speaking about God. I love, whenever I meet with cults, I love pointing to the Old Testament, showing the deity of Christ, even in the Old Testament. These words were not given to others except God alone. These Hebrew words describing the servant are used in Isaiah primarily for God. He is raised up, Isaiah 57. Lifted up, 6-1. I saw the Lord lifted high, same word here. He is exalted, Isaiah 5-16. But it's interesting, this verse here sets the tone. Here is my servant. He's coming. It's gonna be great. He will be exalted. He will be lifted up. Why do we lift up people today? By their achievements most of the time. Kids that do well in school or good in school, which it's it's well. Kids who do well in school, they get little stars. They get awards. They get special things given to them. Kids who don't who are dummified and stupefied, or whatever way you want to say it, they don't get them. They don't get achievement. They don't get praise. We give praise to those, we give words like this to those who achieve good, great, awesome, mighty things. And that's the kind of society we live in. It's based upon great achievements. Listen to this. Rarely is praise given today based upon lowliness and humility that is missing today even in the church today who are the most praiseworthy pastors out there today the ones who are so full of themselves isn't it sad no wonder there's a shaking happening in the church today we think of praise and great things because of awesome mighty things in a high standard but here, it's praise of lowliness, as we will see. Acts 2.33 says this, Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven, at God's right hand. So Acts is looking back at what? The cross. The horrific event. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. I don't know if I have this on the next slide, but turn to Philippians chapter 2. It's a great passage here that speaks and echoes this. And as great as this little section is here, 6 through 11, it's very important that you connect it with what is just said beforehand. Look at verse 3. Do nothing. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should, not, should look not only at your own interests, but the interest of others. Look at verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who... This. being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He is going to be exalted, lifted up. Why? Because of lowly reasons. John 12, 38-41 has this concept also. It says he is lifted up, referring to Christ, being lifted up on the cross. And here's the line, I think I have this on the next slide. Powerful statement here. The act of submission to the will of the Father is costly. But it does exalt Christ. This servant, in humility, submits to the Father's will. And out of this, he will be exalted. Okay, we're getting ready for this great and mighty king, right? We're getting for for someone with fireworks and a chainsaw, right? We're getting for some mighty powerful warrior. When he shows up, bam, people notice. But there is a mood change here in this passage. It's interesting how Isaiah just sets people up. This is what I call the softball effect. You take a softball, throw it up in the air, woohoo, and then bam, knock you out of the sky. Like, what just happened? Look at this passage back in Isaiah. Isaiah. See, behold, look, my servant, he will act wisely. He's going to succeed in what he does. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Most of the Jewish people reading this will be going, yay, 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 let's go, okay, good. Whoa, and then here comes the softball hit. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, Oh what his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. What is going on here? We thought he would be a man that would walk in and people would note, and he would just people would be drawn to him and go, Look at that guy! Look at how good he is and look it's just how can this be? This is, just seems like a contradiction. But it's interesting here, this is very important. It begins with the end. The Bible does that often. It says, he will be exalted, suffering, rejection, substitute, for the result of being exalted. All of this he must go through so he would be exalted. Exalted this passage is tough without warning Isaiah just jumps immediately to people, people being appalled at him Christ is so ruined in his appearance he doesn't even look like a human as one of my great teachers says all suffering is encompassed here physical mental and spiritual Oswald says that but th- this is a this is crazy How can the one who comes to save us show up like this? How can this be the same person of verse 14? See, at this time, most of the Jewish people didn't understand this. They wanted the first part that the Messiah was portrayed as the mighty, ultimate king. They expected the glorious Messiah to come and introduce a new political system. So this verse was tough. But I love this. That's why this passage is very important in witnessing and sharing Jesus to the Jews. In most of the commentaries written by Jewish scholars in the first couple centuries, when they look at this passage, they all say, this is the Messiah. Isn't that great? They all would point to and say, this interpretation is what we refer to as the Messiah. And Jewish scholars during the time of the Christian, early Christian time pointed to this as the Messiah. Yet when it happened, they were dumbfounded. How can this be? This doesn't make sense. This is crazy. And here's my sentence, very short. This is the beautiful, ugly of salvation. This is the beautiful, ugly of salvation. First Corinthians one twenty three says this, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. How can that be, they would think. How, this, this doesn't make sense. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Here it's a stumbling block because he appears repulsive, yet is exalted and achieves the redemption for his people. What's key to this passage here as I've wrestled through this is the word many. I I love this. Just as there were many, and I've got this up on the screen here, um, there were many that were appalled by this. This this can't be. Just as there were many appalled, many nations, we'll see here, were affected. And this shows up also in chapter 53. Many were dumbfounded, yet out of that, many saw the beauty of Christ. Praise God for that, amen? Amen. Many were appalled to, yet many who were convinced and enlightened, we'll see here. He would bear the sins of many, so that many would be justified. Many are confused by this. But Jesus comes in the beautiful, ugly of salvation. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 15. So he would sprinkle many nations, and the kings would shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. First part here, sprinkle. This is this is a tough one. What does this mean? Well, in the Old Testament we see in the book of Leviticus that sprinkling means to purify something, make holy. And here Christ comes to purify His own. He will make them clean. And again, this is something that the Jewish people at the time, they thought it was all about them. They didn't know that they were also called to be this great witness. And they didn't know how it would be through suffering like this. And here again, I encourage you to go back online and listen to Jesse's sermon on God's desire for the nations that he shared out of the last chapter, out of Isaiah. He has a heart for people. And it is through the loss of all things that the Savior will conquer all things and all nations. Here. Kings will shut their mouths. Another word to say, nations will be dumbfounded, in awe. They will be in awe at what he does. Romans 15, 2 mentions this. The worldwide scope of the work of Jesus stands, and the world is speechless. When the true gospel comes, it's powerful. Are you in awe of this? <laughs> The Jewish people wanted this great, ultimate, mighty warrior king. And they got a carpenter. How can this be? They got someone that didn't fit what they thought would be. But the carpenter then would be a suffering savior for his people. And I love the last part of this. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. That's why the Old Testament is incomplete without the beauty of the work, life, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then they understood the beauty of what this was speaking about. Then they saw it, still dumbfounded, the beauty of Christ is in there. And the kings that once were shocked by him, the many that were like, no! Then they turned to him in awe and wonder, and nations come to praise him. The humiliation was terrible, but temporary. Let me just stop here now. That's what this passage, this little section is about. Good truth stuff, okay. And most of us go, okay, I understand that. But now what? What does this mean for you and I? We could just go through this and pick every word. And I thought, let's get really serious about this. And then I realized, what's our response today? Two important things. And this is on the next slide, I hope. I messed up on some of my slides today, so apologize if it's not there. Number one, we are to exalt the Lord. Just as God the Father knew this plan, knew what was happening, God knew what was going to happen, the pride of the Father in His Son, He exalted, lifted Him up, and put Him to this great, worthy place. We also are to do the same thing. We also are to lift him up. We are to boast in the cross. I have a passage here. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. If you come to church just to come to church, and you come not wanting to be changed, you're in a dangerous place. Every time you come come to be changed and for those of you who understand the Bible and you've read it a long time old or new whatever passage you're looking at think of who God is and the beauty of Christ and rejoice in that lift him up, amen what have we got? 13 through 14 and I've got I believe I've got the NLT here up there, and even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciple. They are bound into legalism here. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. I never boast in anything except Christ. Please listen. If you have been saved by the gospel if God has come and changed you the number one Change that must show, I believe, is your gratitude and exalting Jesus. And that shows up in your worship and song, in your study, in your lifestyle, in your behavior, in your attitude, in how you think, how you act, how you talk. Everything is for the glory of God. Amen. Just as God exalted him, it flows out of our emotions and motives to worship and lift him up. Isaiah spoke of a glorified Savior who would be rejected, we also rejoice and exalt Him. Never stop boasting of the cross and the beauty of the salvation we have and the freedom. Number two, it's the same thing here. The second one is this. Very simple. Worship Jesus. Don't pity the suffering. In this passage, there's a part of me that just thinks, oh, oh, this is bad, this is suffering. Don't pity the suffering. Worship the Savior. My life should be marked by everything I do that I worship the risen King. The highest esteem of which He is worthy meets up with this mangled flesh on the cross. That's why the ugly beauty of the Savior is here. This is horrible, yet it causes me to worship him. That should be me. And we'll get to that section in two weeks. He took my place, which I deserve death. Worship Jesus. The nations fall before him. We will see that someday. Their mouths are, kings finally understand. The one who was mutilated is exalted. So worship Jesus. Worship him all the time. Horror to the nations is replaced by worship. So today, do you worship him completely? This passage in Isaiah, profound passage. Let me read it one last time before we close. Isaiah 52, 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Do you do the same to him? Just as there were many who appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle the nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand so here's the application as you look at Christ do you truly worship him let me end with this comment I recently got in a discussion with someone about worship worship is a big topic today in churches styles of worship, thoughts of worship. We need to sing more hymns. We need to have this kind of music. We need to have music that attracts people. And It's interesting that some churches are all about, let's get a nice worship band and have a great performance and production for people that will draw people in and then they can work for the kingdom. When I go, I think that's just the opposite. We are to be the workers of the kingdom. And by our good works, people then come to know Christ and then worship him. I don't care what kind of cool worship and band you can get up front with fireworks and all the fancy stuff. A person who is against God is not going to turn to God because you're cool and hip. God grants the change of the heart. And I came up with this line to the person I just said. I have one sentence with two questions. I'll pause after the first question and then go into the second one and I think you'll know what I'm thinking. Is worship for you or for him? Church, is your life for you or for him? Have you not seen the beauty of the agony that he went through to save you? Worship is not really for you. There's aspects of it, but worship is for him. So, church, worship the risen mighty king. And may it be evident in your life daily. Amen. Let's pray.